You are listening to Sermon Audio from Providence Baptist Church. Be sure to check out pbcfrankfort.org for more information. If you have a Bible, if you turn to Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews 10, we're going to be in the last verses of chapter 10 today, verses 32 through 39. So Hebrews 10, 32 through 39, and as you're turning, say it with me. Now, this is the last time you're going to have to say this. For a couple months, because we're going to take a break from Hebrews and jump back in January, so say it like you mean it, say it like you screamed at the TV last night when UK and LSU were playing, okay? We want to know Jesus better, we want to love Jesus more, we want to serve Jesus greater. Those are the things that this book of Hebrews is challenging us, to, to know him, to love him, to serve him, as we exit out of this series sometime next spring, because like I said, we're going to take a break from it, we'll hit it back in January and, and continue it uh, January, February, and March. But as we exit out of Hebrews, we want to have those things that are concrete in our lives, that we're, we're doing those things, we're knowing him, we're loving him, we're serving him all in greater capacities than we were before. Today's title, this message, is, um, is the issue of perseverance. It's how to persevere. And perseverance, we oftentimes think of in this kind of setting that it's a, it's a physical thing, right? Like pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, gird yourself up, push through whatever it is that you want to push through or that you need to push through. And, but, but there's a reality here that we're going to read about that perseverance is also a very spiritual thing, particularly for the life of the Christian. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Pursuit of God, stated this, Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Because when we get complacent about things, we tend to do a couple things. Number one, we don't really work hard. We don't, we don't strive to, to improve or progress in areas that we're being complacent about. Um, secondly, sometimes we get complacent about things and we are uh, unaware of or unwilling to um, confess inadequacies or uh, errors or dangers that are around us. We just kind of get complacent and settled and oh, we're good here from here on out and, and we don't have anything else to do. And, you know, when I think of complacency, my mind, of course, always goes to sports and that, that team or that individual athlete. But you might think of performers or entertainers or, or somebody else in a different field who run that risk of getting to a point in their life where they just kind of, okay, I've arrived and I'm just going to chill. And when we get complacent, it moves us away from persevering in the faith. It's not contentment. Don't, don't mix complacency and being content together. Because contentment is, particularly for the Christian, recognizing that in every situation, good or bad, no matter what the outcome is, I'm trusting in God. I'm having my faith and trust in Him and knowing that He is working on my behalf. Complacency is that issue of trusting in ourselves. It's that issue of, of moving our trust and our hope and our, our foundation away from God and putting in ourselves, thinking we've done enough. Paul is a great example in the Bible of someone who was content but was not complacent. In Philippians 4, 11 through 13, he, read, he says this, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. 
And in every, any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So he teaches and, and preaches and speaks of his contentment in God, his trust in God in both low times and abounding times. In both hunger and being full. His contentment is with God. But he certainly was not complacent for just a, a few verses earlier than that. In chapter 3, he writes this in verses 12 through 14, talking about his faith in Christ and how he's striving towards that goal. And he says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and intently forgetting the, the self things of his, of his life and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was content, but he was not complacent. He trusted in God. His God was his foundation. He knew that in every situation he could be content in whatever God was doing and whatever God would do. But he didn't sit back on that and go, well, I'm Paul. I've started churches. I've been writing letters that are going to one day be included in this thing called the Bible. I'm good. He was forever striving to be who God wanted him to be. And so we talk about complacency today because when we become complacent, we do not persevere. When we become complacent, we stop doing the things that are necessary for us to become more Christ-like. The Word of God doesn't have as much uh, uh, importance to it in, in, in our lives when we become complacent. Gathering together with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ doesn't become as important. Uh, we, we put our, our contentment in earthly situations, in earthly surroundings, in earthly possessions when we begin to get complacent towards the things of God. And here, though the words complacent are not used, he's describing here an understanding that there's an inferment here, that the people he's writing to had become complacent, had become too comfortable in their life. So let's talk about persevering and three things that it includes. Number one, persevering includes remembering. Look at verse 32, the very beginning of it. He says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. I just want to focus this first point on that first phrase, but recall the former days. To persevere means you remember what it was like. Now, again, Paul said in Philippians, forgetting what lies behind, he was forgetting his self-righteousness. He was forgetting his Jewish uh, strict upbringing. He was forgetting all the things that he had learned at the feet of the teachers. He was forgetting all of the religious things of his life. And he was moving forward to the call of God in Christ Jesus. So when, when the author here says recall the former days, it's not a contradiction. But he's calling to mind here specifically their history and what they have lived through, which we'll get through in just a moment. What history would they have dealt with? Well, we don't know exactly. We don't know the destination of this letter. We, we, we deduce from it that it's to Jewish Christians who are living in a community somewhere. Some believe they were in Rome. Some believe they were in the region of Antioch. But regardless, what we do know historically is that after Christ's death and resurrection, there was a string of emperors that brought persecution of varying levels on both Jewish and Gentile Christians. 
Matter of fact, in, in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 and 2, Luke records that the emperor Claudius commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And we know that to be true for in A.D. 49, that's backed up by historical sources outside the Bible. That there was some form of persecution. Maybe it wasn't complete death, maybe it wasn't complete martyrdom, but something was going on for all of those generations after Christ's death and resurrection at the hands of Romans, Roman emperors and their people. And so the call to remember here for this group of people that the author's writing to is a call to remember to relight a spiritual fire. Remember your former days. Recall your former, former days. And we'll talk about what was going on in those days in just a moment. But I just want to put that challenge to you and to me today. To, you, to those of us who are in Christ... If you were to take a few moments today and recall your former days, meaning those days when you came to faith, meaning those days when, when it was new and fresh, you probably would say something along these lines. I remember those days because I remember I couldn't get enough of God's Word. I remember I couldn't get enough of, of praying and learning to pray with believers. I remember I couldn't get enough of being together with brothers and sisters in Christ. I remember I couldn't get enough of being bold and vocal with my faith, not in a condemning way, but in that way that I began to think, oh, everybody needs to know what I now know. And recall those former days because something along the way happens. We get complacent. We get comfortable. Sometimes there are bad things that happen. Sometimes it's just our own stuff. But we need to recall those former days. Some of this complacency sometimes falls on the church, honestly. Because we've sort of, in this modern era, made following Jesus to be a series of nice things. Jesus means you'll have a nice house, and you'll have a nice family, and you'll have a nice subdivision to live in, and you'll have nice schools to attend, and you'll have nice grandkids someday, and you'll have a nice 401k someday, and a nice job, and a nice career, and Jesus equals nice, and that's difficult, <laughs> because nowhere do we find that Jesus equals nice, we find that Jesus equals holiness and that Jesus equals the glory of God and that Jesus equals sometimes being persecuted very severely for our faith, but we don't really see in the Scripture this spelling out of Jesus equals nice. But because we've included that within the era of the modern church, we begin to think as Christians, oh, well, as long as I've got these things, or if, hey, if I just get three out of five, things must be going pretty good. He's calling on this, on this community as we're called on today. Remember your former days. Recall your former days when you could not get enough of God's word, of God's people, of making sure those around you knew the changes that had occurred in your life. So what did their former days include? It takes us to our second point, that persevering includes enduring. I'm going to go back to 32 and we're going to read through 35 to start off with. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. 
Persevering involves enduring. What does it mean to endure here? It doesn't mean just to grin and bear it. It doesn't mean just to get through it the best you can, just so you can get through it on the other side. It's a word that specifically means to face up to, to withstand the challenges of life, encourage, and in consistency, but catch this, particularly in unjust times or situations. Anybody can endure when it's easy. Anybody can endure when nothing is required of us. But much was being required of this community. And he was telling them they, they had to remember, they had to recall when they endured. This issue of enduring, this issue of persevering is woven throughout all the scriptures. In Matthew 24, uh, Jesus has this long exposition, this long teaching on what would be going on at the end of the age. And in verse 13, kind of in that first third where he's talking about tribulation and persecution, all these things are going to happen, he makes this statement, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. He's not preaching a gospel of works here. He's not saying if you just hold on and get to the end, you'll be saved. But what he is saying is those who go through these situations, like this community now of the Hebrews some 35 years later, those who do that and endure to the end, that will be the evidence that what God has begun in you, God has brought to a completion. It's the antidote, or the, the antithesis, if you will, of what we looked at last week, which was a group of people who were, were particularly, uh, possibly throwing away their confidence, who, who were not enduring, who when times got tough were running and trampling the Son of God un, underfoot and profaning the blood of the covenant and outraging the Spirit of grace. Jesus says the one who endures to the end will be saved. Likewise, Paul in Romans 5, teaching of what it means to, to have this faith and, and to become more like Christ in verses 1 through 5, and I'm just going to summarize it here, but he says we rejoice in suffering because we rejoice in suffering because suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and the hope that we have out of all that is a hope that does not disappoint because it's not a hope in this world it's not a hope in the things of this world it is a hope that is founded in Jesus Christ so how do we endure we endure through the power of God likewise in Romans 15 Paul calls God in verse 5 the God of endurance we endure because he is the God of endurance and he has gifted us not only this gift of salvation, but this gift of the Holy Spirit to bring us to endure such things. What were they particularly dealing with? Again, look at verse 33 as we begin to walk through them one by one. He says, they were sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. What does it mean to be publicly exposed? It means this, that they were made theater of. They, their lives were put on display like a theater. They were insulted. They were ridiculed. They were sometimes even physically assaulted for the entertainment of others. It wasn't just that they had some tough times. They were put on display for their faith and their belief in Christ so that others could get their kicks. And they did this dealing with reproach and affliction, Repro reproach, a word having to do with verbal assaults, affliction, a word having to deal with being oppressed physically, socially, mentally, and or economically. 
So maybe one of the four, maybe all four. Uh, interestingly enough, the word that's translated affliction here, it might be persecution or distress or tribulation in your Bible, is the word that is most often translated tribulation when the Bible speaks of things that will come on at the end of times. That this is what will happen in those end times. So they endured that. They also stood side by side with others. Look there again at the end of verse 33. Sometimes being partners with those so treated. This simply means they chose to face persecution with their brothers and sisters in Christ rather than flee for self-preservation. That when one was being persecuted, when one was being harassed, when one was being insulted, they chose to stand up with them, being partners with them, willingly for the sake and the cause of Christ. And as part of that, verse 34, they had compassion on those in prison, he writes. Kent Hughes, in his commentary, reminds us of this important fact. That in the first century, prisoners had no real means of survival apart from the visits of friends who brought food and water and clothing. But visiting placed one person in such great danger. It wasn't like prison today. You went to prison and you only ate what your friends brought you. You only had the clothing that your friends brought you. You only had the survival things that your friends brought you. And for them to bring them to you put them in danger. Because now they were guilty by association. And yet this community had embraced that. They'd been willing to pay that price to stand side by side with their brothers. It brings in a whole new meaning out of Matthew 25, something that many of you will probably remember, when Jesus says, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. That when they stood side by side with their brothers and sisters in Christ, they did so for the sake of Christ. And not only that, but look at verse 34 again. They had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. This is no voluntary offering of property. The word plundering here is a word that means the taking of property by force, often by violence. So if you, were to, if you were to walk out of here today and, and walk out into the parking lot and some guy was standing up there with a gun and he puts a gun in your face and says, give me your wallet and your money and your phone, anything else that's valuable, that's plundering as it is here. So it's not just that they were losing houses, not just that they were losing businesses, not just that they were maybe losing family heirlooms or treasures or the things that they needed. It was being taken from them by force, but look at what it says, they took it joyfully. They accepted it joyfully. It, it could have been coming from Rome. It could have been coming from the government. It could have even been coming from other Jewish people who had decided they didn't like the way these Jews were acting. Because here's a little hint. Sometimes when you start to do what Jesus wants you to do, there are other people who you thought were in your corner that decide they're not anymore. But they joyfully accepted it. How can they joyfully accept it? He gives, them that, gives us the answer there at the end of verse 34. Since you knew yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And that leads us into our third point, that we persevere in anticipation. We persevere by remembering 
our former days and the, the fire we once had. We, we persevere by enduring through the tough times, and then we persevere in anticipation. They were able to joyfully accept all of this because they knew the immediate world and earth around them was not what was promised. It wasn't the comfort. It wasn't the material things. It wasn't uh, the, 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 the blessings that are earthly and temporal. It was the blessing of Christ and an eternity with Christ and a kingdom that was yet to still come. When we get into Hebrews 11 in January, this is going to be a strong theme through Hebrews 11. That a whole people in what's often called the, the Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11 were people who kept looking and kept realizing in life, oh, I can go through whatever I need to go through because I know this is not the promise. And he says they joyfully accepted this because they knew they had a better possession and an abiding one. That word abiding is a word that means it's not going anywhere. God's not going to pull the rug out from under us. What he has promised, he has promised. And what he has promised, he is going to deliver on. And so this community was able to persevere in these ways because they knew and recognized this earth was not all that was for them. We have to ask ourselves the question, do we really believe that? Do we, do we really believe in all of the things that are, that are thrown at us really from a very early age of this is what success looks like, and yes, sometimes even this is what Christian success looks like, do we really believe that what is promised us is something that is not temporal, is not earthly, it's not material, it's not comfort, it's not everybody liking us, but it's us working and, and persevering to the glory and the pleasure of God knowing that His Word stands firm and His promises are forever. And they were encouraged, they were able to do this joyfully because, as he puts it in verse 35, he says to them, do not throw away your confidence. Again, this is just the opposite of what we saw last week. They, this group, he's saying, don't throw away, hold on, stay in there, persevere. When the group that's described in the verses previous to this last week were those who were discarding their confidence. And they're encouraged to persevere by their continual need of endurance. Look at verses 36 through 38. He's called them to remember. He's called them to remember what they've gone through. And then he says this, For you have need of endurance. In other words, what he's saying to them is, As you remember all these things you've gone through, don't think they're over. Don't, don't think it's done. You have need, you have continual need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, verse 37, he, he puts together this kind of hodgepodge of, of verses from Isaiah and Habakkuk and, and Malachi. Yet in a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one, those of us who are in Christ, shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him we endure we keep up we have need of endurance and and I really believe that this phrase points us back a couple weeks ago to those verses 19 through 25 where we talked about the importance of the local church 
that we have a continual need for enduring. And our primary strength of enduring comes from God. It's what Paul said in Romans 15, the God of endurance. But our secondary strength to endure comes from one another. It's what he had just written to this group, that they joyfully went to be partners with those in prison, with those who were being persecuted, with those who were under reproach and affliction. And we need to endure so that we can help one another to endure. And ultimately, we persevere because of the promise of Christ's return. Understand the first early church that existed in those first few decades thought Jesus was coming back at any moment. And they lived like it. They lived like it. They were fully aware in their minds that he, he could come back at any moment. And that's why they did not have such a hold on earthly temporal things. But now we're almost a couple thousand years later. And people begin to ask, well, where is he? Why hadn't he come back? Understand that just three decades or so after, they were already asking that question. Second Peter, which was written most likely 30 to 35 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Peter says this in 2 Peter 3, beginning in verse 1. This is the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets, the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, that scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own sinful desires, and they will say, where is the promise of his coming? I mean, just three decades after Christ's death and resurrection, it had already begun to infiltrate even the church. Where is he? How come he's not coming back? And some of you who are familiar with Peter's letter will understand Peter's answer or will remember it that begins in verse 8 of chapter 3. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, but the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. It doesn't say that the Lord knows that everyone will reach repentance because he knows the hearts of men, but he is slow in his return. He's slow in his almost 2,000 year return because his gospel has to go forth. The good news of Jesus has to be spread. It has to be put throughout our, our families and our homes and our households and our businesses and our communities and everywhere we go. Because God recognizes the truth that without him, they die and perish forever, eternally apart from him. But with him, there's a better thing that's coming, a better thing that's promised. And still some today are like those in 2 Peter. Well, where is he? Let's just, let's just get honest for a second. Some who are churched or churched people or grew up in church or even are professing Christians sometimes say things like, well, you know, I've got time. I'm 30, I'm 40, I'm 60. I got time. I can get all that together later. Understand that his coming is imminent. It's either imminent because this could be the day you draw your last breath and don't know it, or he could actually pierce the skies. Are we persevering? Are we enduring? Are we anticipating? Or are we just sort of going through life going, oh, I think we're good. Life's been good. Life's been nice. Let's just move on. 
This call to persevere is to call to remember the Christian life is built on faith. Look there again in verse 39, if you will, as we begin to close. He says, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. To persevere is to be built on faith, not on circumstances. To persevere is to be built on the faith of God's promises and what Christ has done for us and what he is doing for us and, and what God has promised he will endure. Circumstances around us tempt us to stray, stray away or, as the author says here, shrink away. Oh, things are getting tough. Oh, things are not, I, the, things don't feel like they did 20, 30, 100 years ago. I got news for us. The Bible says that's the way things are going to go. That it's going to get increasingly worse. And you may be a part of a generation or you may not be a part of a generation that sees it gets really bad. But understand that if it happens in your life and my life, we are not called to throw up our hands and go, oh my goodness, what's going on? We're called to endure. We're called to remember. We're called to anticipate and be mindful of what God has promised us. I've told this story before on Sunday nights. I know. I don't know if I've ever told it on a Sunday morning or not. But in 2007, there were 23 South Korean missionaries taken hostage in Afghanistan by Taliban forces. And they were there for six weeks. Two of them were executed in that time. And then a deal was struck to return them back to South Korea. And just, just a side note, you know what country other than America sends the most missionaries out or is number two in missionary sending in this world? South Korea. 2017, 10 years after they were released, Francis Chan, a pastor out in California, had the opportunity to sit down with them. And he said they stated, among other things, one person made this statement, when I was surrounded by those soldiers, I felt the presence of Jesus with me. And now that we're back, I'm trying to experience that intimacy with him, but I can't. I fast and I pray and I don't feel it. I'd rather be back there because of the intimacy I had with him. Can you imagine saying I would rather be back in a Taliban-held Afghani prison than free? Can you imagine what it meant for this person to say, I felt his presence with me stronger there than I do in any other way? You say, that, that, that's, that's a nice sentiment, right? No, it's not a nice sentiment. It's a biblical truth. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown in the fiery furnace because they would not bow down before Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar's counselor looks in and says, I see four men in there walking in the midst of fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods, that Jesus was in the furnace with those individuals. That Stephen, in the book of Acts, getting ready to get stoned to death for his bold faith, says before he's killed and martyred, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. It is biblical truth that when you are in your worst and when you're enduring and when in persecution and reproach and affliction and everything else is coming to you, there is a closeness to Jesus that exists at that time that is unlike any other. And we dare not get complacent. We dare not get 
comfortable. The measure of Christ in a person is not how easy they have it in this world, but how joyful they are when this world is not easy. That is the measure of Christ in me and in you. You say, well, what do we do with all this? Well, I just have this challenge to you today. Don't wait to persevere until you have to persevere. Don't wait to pick up the spiritual disciplines in your life that God has given us, the study of his word, the power of prayer, the the fellowship of the believers, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Don't wait to pick all that up when you think you're going to need it. Because if you wait to pick it up when you think you're going to need it, you're going to be in a world of hurt. I was talking with my kids last night. We got to talking about drive and motivation and passion and what, what keeps people at the forefront of their, their game or their career or whatever the case is. And, and we talked deeply about the fact that that, that, that athlete, that musician, that who, whoever that person is and doing whatever they do, they stay on top of their game not because they wait to, when they need it to tap into it, but because they're preparing for it over and over and over. I'm a big golf fan. Most of you know that. And they just had that little tournament called the Ryder Cup a couple weeks ago. And, and all of these golfers, these professional multi-million golfers, are coming off of these long days of, of 18 and 36 holes. And they're going to the practice range and hitting balls for two more hours before the next day. They're persevering. Oh, brothers and sisters in Christ, would we persevere in the study of God's Word? Would we persevere in the the learning and the gifting and the coming together to pray? Would we persevere in the body of Christ and the fellowship of the saints? Because if we do not do it now, when the bottom drops out, and make no doubt about it, it is going to drop out. Because God has said it would. When the bottom drops out, if we are not persevering up to that point, we will be in grave, grave danger. Persevere, remember, recall your former days, endure, and endure with anticipation, knowing that God's promises are better than anything this world has to offer. Thanks for listening. If you have any thoughts, questions, or prayer concerns, please email us at pbcfrankfurt at gmail.com.